with all the new forms of art people have to choose from, movies, TV, video games, why is reading still important? We discuss this and more with special guest Sarah Clarkson on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, avid subway reader. And with me, as always, is my righteously rambunctious co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and um, I would say avid reader compared to most, but because <laughs> of the guest Great we have curve. today... I, I hesitate to call myself an avid reader. <laughs> now, well, speaking of which, today we have a very special guest. She is an author, blogger, and theologian with a degree in theology from Oxford University, where she also was chair of the C.S. Lewis Society, I believe it is. Um, cool. And her latest book, uh, wait, whoops, she has written and co-written six books, including Book Girl and The Life-Giving Home. Her latest book, The Beautiful Truth, How God's Truth Breaks Into Our Darkness, is available now on Amazon. She also happens to be vaguely connected to my co-host. She Just is vaguely. yes, exactly. Yes. She is the spectacular, the savvy, the sanguine, Sarah Clarkson. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'll I'll come on here all the time if I get that kind of an introduction every time. <laughs> We finally have, the, the, you are the last sibling to right. be on the podcast. We have completed the uh, the, the Clarkson family <laughs> children. Every Clarkson with a book deal has been on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is all of them. <laughs> exactly. I don't know, either we're crazy or something. I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> you know, or, hey, people like what you have to say. So that's why we like having you we'll, on here. We'll run with that. <laughs> yes. It could be because we all like words so much, we just had to grow up and not stop writing and reading them. Oh, before we get it, that's a great segue. Before we get into that, though, where what's um, you want to plug something of ours? Yeah, I'm going to do that. So announcements uh, real quick, everyone, if you have not already, please, would you consider um, giving the podcast a review? It helps us so much, uh, as well as I also want to always mention our wonderful group on Facebook of now over 600 people on the Overthinkers Facebook group. It's so much fun. We have a lot of great discussions and memes and articles and videos, and it's just a really fun place for people to be. And if you like all the stuff that we talk about on here, please head over to the Overthinkers group on Facebook. We would love to have have you and as far as announcements that's it awesome well that was a great tight little announcement set but yes reason we brought on sarah clarkson is do you want to talk about reading because she has written a lot of things so it's no secret that americans are reading less than they used to according to the washington post articles leisure reading in the u.s is at an all-time low and the long steady decline of uh literary reading Reading for pleasure and reading overall has been dropping steadily since the 1980s. With, increase in, with a steady increase in video games, streaming, and social media, people have more forms of art competing for their attention than ever before. Despite this, everyone really seems to know that reading, the lack of reading, is a problem because there is, reading is so important, whether it's you know for education, religion, art, whatever it is. So... What is it? So I'm putting this to you, Sarah. What is it that is important specifically about reading that 
um, that you get there from you can't get from other uh, forms of art or information gathering? Well, I'll give you two of my little catchy phrases. One mm. is that words make worlds and the other mm. is that stories form themselves. Those, I think mm. that's after a long time of thinking about that, that's what I've come to. I think I did a lot of research. I was really fascinated by some of the research you're mentioning because um, gosh, 10 or, 10 or more years ago, I heard a talk by Dana Joya, who was then the um, head of the National Endowment for the Arts. And he'd done this extensive research right. into Americans' reading habits. Yeah, so he came up with a report called reading at risk because he yep. found it was on the decline in every area of society, specifically this kind of leisurely reading of, of more imaginative works, things that engage imagination and, you know, really get you thinking on a different, a different viewpoint than your own. And the more I researched it and the more I thought about it and looked into the data, especially from for children and how, how that was kind of how I started was how do, how are children's selves formed and how do they understand the world? The more I got into this fascinating realm where I was reading about how words literally form the way we see the world. So mm. the words that we're exposed to from a young age, they teach us how to see. So, you know, there's a, a philosopher called Owen Barfield, who was one of the great friends of C.S. Lewis. Yep. And he writes about um, how basically, you know, you, you can stand at a, a window and say, I hear a bluebird singing, but the amount of language you have to know and the, the, the names you have to even understand what singing means and what a bluebird is. and ah. This, this teaches you how you see the world and the different kinds of language that we use. You know, so children who are exposed to, you know, if, you're, if you teach your children to think, I, I think it goes a long way in how they learn to relate to people. Oh, look, that you're narrating it all the time. Oh, look at this nice person. Look, we, oh, aren't we glad she's here? You, you're narrating the world to a child at all times. So the narration a child hears about the world forms the whole way they see the world. And so I think in that sense, the words that we engage with on a daily basis are literally forming our view of the world. They affect our sight, what we notice, what we value. Um, but then I think also on a, like, I'm just a lover of stories and a mm. lover of, and I think those have been like some of the most formative influences in my life have been the stories I've read. Um, and I think the more I've understood how stories engage with ourselves, they kind of teach us what it looks like to be a person in the world. And they allow us to stand in shoes other than our own, to see the consequences yep. of choice. Um, but they, they give us a real sense of identity. And I think that they also really form what I would call kind of a narrative understanding of our own existence. So there's yep. a sense in which we see our own lives as a story, the more we're exposed to really good stories that show us heroes and heroines and villains and fools and all these people combining together, we begin to think, who am I in the narrative of my life? So just as a basic start, that's, <laughs> that's why I'd say I love reading and think it's so important. Absolutely. Now, I can speak as someone who has ADHD and dyslexia, who gen gen uh, genuinely has a difficult time reading and, and have since I've been very young. It's very uh, difficult for me to focus. Oftentimes the word gets mixed up in my head. And so you'd think as someone who has such a hard time reading that it wouldn't be something that I would um, include in my daily life in such a, uh, a strong way because it's so difficult. There must be other ways to go about learning things um, 
uh, discovering the world. So it's, it's interesting for me as a person with uh, these learning abilities to be reading so highly. And as I think about why do I include reading when there's so many other ways to learn things, whether it be uh, YouTube videos or podcasts at, you know, like this one, um, why do I still value reading? And so you, you're speaking about stories. And what I want to hear you talk a little bit on is why the act of reading is so important. Well, what is it about? Because we can experience stories in video games and movies, but I think there is something, and I'd love to hear the science in this. I know Joseph might have um, uh, something to say about this. There's science. What, what is it about the actual act of reading? And I will add um, that vocabulary. You touch on vocabulary a little bit, Sarah. And um, it's interesting, the joy that I have in finding more perfect words to describe the things I'm trying to convey. And I think through reading, we can enlarge our vocabulary um, and have a greater love and connection and relationship with words. And I think that as we read, this is one of the things I would say that really goes hand in hand with why reading is so important is when you give kids more words to describe the world around them, they have a greater understanding of that world and greater um, connection to it. So that's one of the reasons I would say I still love reading. And there's something that's kind of ineffable. I don't know exactly how to say it because I was, I was reading last night. I mean, it might just be a couple chapters here or there. And this comes after my day when I watch TV and play video games and all these things. But there's something unique that happens when I read a story um, or, even, or even nonfiction. Um, but that goes on in my head when I read a story. When video games and movies offer you uh, the scene, and they can do it beautifully, the colors, the characters, with they look like what feels like reading is this really interesting thing where as you're reading your mind and your imagination are the things that have to put all these pieces together and so you in a way and i talk about video games sometimes like this but in a different way you are an active participant in building the story with the author that you are the one who is building this world in your head they're they're offering you all the pieces and you are taking those pieces and putting together so it's an interesting thing where you sit back and just watch movies and they're served to you pretty much reading is actually this interactive thing where you are part of the world building when you read lord of the rings especially before the movies um you had a chance to build middle earth in your mind how it looks obviously tolkien the author guided you but you were given the opportunity to actually build the world in your mind to make it look um very uniquely you and sometimes i think about how interesting it would be to take one story let's say lord of the rings let's say narnia some of the classics and see how differently it would have looked in all of these people's minds it's almost like their own artwork that was um, guided by the author. So that's one of the things I love about reading, but I'd love to hear um, Joseph some more statistics or studies on why the actual art of reading um, is so important, looking at the page. Um, and so I'd love to hear why, again, why you think that the act of reading, because stories are amazing, but why is it so unique and special and needed that we actually read them instead of just watching them or engaging with them or even listening to them? Why is, because, you know, the rise of... Um, of books on tape, why is reading such an important aspect? Well, I think, I mean, it's a lot of what you're saying. I think, first of all, like in some of the studies I did of children's brains, I think one of the things that was fascinating to me is that reading makes you an active participant. It's, it empowers you. You are asked to be, you can't be passive as a reader. And so, and that has a real specific effect in your brain. So one of the early studies I read years ago, this researcher looked at children's brains, one with children watching TV and one with children actually reading some text. And what he found was that literally when, when he was doing this, the, the, the act of reading 
involves such a complexity of brain function. So you, you're seeing the words, you're translating these black marks into meaning. Your brain is actually comparing it with your, your other knowledge. Like what other things do I know? Where have I encountered this idea before? It's wow. deciding whether to reject or accept it as true. It's integrating it into your experience. It's, and you're actually, when you, when you read text, you're actually hearing the words in your mind. So you, you always have a voice in your mind as you read, even if you're unconscious of it. There's That's a sound amazing. aspect within your own brain, which amazing. I think is fascinating. Yeah, and also um, you were talking about vocabulary and some of the research I did on um, with children is they, they just feel that reading is kind of like this golden educational key because the more vocabulary you have, the more words you have to describe the world, the better you're going to do in every subject across the board. So whether it's math, science, whatever, those actually are dependent on your capacity to read, to comprehend, to understand, to describe. And I think that I, it's exactly what you're saying, Nate, but um, I remember at one point talking, I don't remember if it was you or Joel, like years ago, heard somebody just say, God is huge, which is true and great on some level. But what if you can describe his characteristics in these different ways? He's omnipotent, omniscient. What do these words mean? What does it mean for God to be present? Or you, you, even, um, I'm not using you know, all the words I could, but the more words you have to describe the world, the richer and more multi-layered your world becomes. And I think that with children, um, especially that was just fascinating to me because the more words they acquired, the more they were capable of creating, engaging with the world. But it is very empowering as well, because if you can describe the world, then you can begin to describe the visions you see in your own imagination. You can begin to have a sense of being a creator within the world, which I think is really one of the most beautiful parts of being a reader is the words that you're taking in form you in such a way that you become capable of describing and shaping the world with words in your turn. And I think that's one of the kind of almost magical aspects of reading. So since the words that you garner from reading, from being active in books, um, help you articulate things, the articulation of the world around you actually makes you um, smarter, for lack of a better word. Um, but it, so articulation can actually help you understand truth and reality um, better. Each synonym that we find and discover and use can actually teach us about reality. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm not even saying this, I'm just thinking about it. Well, I mean, okay, so this, this, these are these kind of discussions get me really excited because I'm just thinking of all of these things get very excited about. One, one of the things that's interesting is I, at, you actually pointed this out, Nathan, which is that you both of you have touched on this. Knowing more words actually see, helps you see more of reality. They've done certain studies that the, they, the cultures and places in the world that don't have as many colors for, I mean, words for colors actually are less capable of seeing those colors, you know, they say, okay, is this the same color? Or is this something really different or slightly different? And they'll say, no, it's the same color. They can't discern it until there's actually a word for it in the language. So actually the process of actually, you know, knowing more words actually helps you see more of the world. It's interesting. One of, you know, one of my old um, uh, religion professors talked about the fact that, you know, whenever God had like a miracle, he did the, you know, he always had to have a prophet standing next to him to say, explain to people what the, the miracle meant. Like, you know, Moses before the part of the Red Sea said, okay, guys, by the way, you know, there's a miracle that's going to happen. I don't want you to know before it happens that it's God who did it. And so there's, you know, um, 
uh, there's a book called uh, The Films of Christoph Kozlowski, and he was trying to explain sort of difference between film and reading to show what film did more uniquely. And what he was saying is that, you know, with most of reality and with film, um, the uh, you experience the world and then you think about it. But what's interesting about reading is that you think about the world that's being created and then you experience it. The only way to experience it is first to think about it because you have to think, it's like, okay, what do the words mean? What do these? And so it's really a huge exercise for the cognitive part of your brain, which is not done as much in the more visual forms of medium. One of the reasons I love Christopher Nolan as a director is he he's one of the few directors who really um, tries to exercise both the cognitive and non-cognitive parts of your brain when you're watching his films but it doesn't it's it doesn't you know doesn't go away it's still a film which is first experiencing it before you think about it whereas books actually actively force you to think about it in order to experience it which is and a thing i hadn't thought about it before as much as you're right that forces you to be a co-creator and actually exercise the part of your brain that helps you to actually create and make sense of narratives in the world yourself um madeline lengel we've talked about on a show her book walking on water talks about you know the um act of arts and creating is to create cosmos out of chaos and so it's like we we create narratives we create stories and the way we do that primarily actually is through language even more the act of interpreting the world and creating order about it actually um more even than visuals because we know we have all seen art that has you know visuals but no interpretation there's no interpretation until and actually create story until there's words into it so that's something that's actually reading actually if that's true gives us more ability to instruct those narratives for ourselves that are very important to us. The other thing, of course, is that, you know, um, is that we actually talked before about the, the decrease in empathy over time that's actually happened over time in society. We've kind of had different theories about why that could be, but it is interesting that, you know, the empathy, the decrease in empathy has correlated to the decrease in reading. And so it is entirely possible that the lack of ability of exercising the ability to um, to actually think about not passively empathy because film also has empathy you have to get inside but not pa but instead of passively empathetic to actually actively empathizing through your own you know thinking um, perhaps that's part of the reason. I, I think that's really interesting because um, reading is so. There's a study I read that actually said that when people read they would, you read about running a race or you read about um, someone being hurt, that your brain actually, the places in your brain were accessed that would help you to feel that. It's like you could literally, mm. your brain would, would feel what it felt like to be running or walking while, while reading these things, which I think is just fascinating the way wow. it, it interacts with, yeah, it actually allows us in a sense to imagine experiencing a different way of being and thinking. But I think another thing that reading does, it's really interesting. I'm reading a book right now. Um, oh gosh, where is it? I'm looking for it. Um, I don't think about it. Blesses. The Shallows. Oh, oh okay. I'm well, kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <tell you. laughs> it's called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. You all would really enjoy it. And it's talking about how, um, you know, for a long time, everybody thought your brain was kind of set. Like, you know, you set it in childhood and then you know, you basically went from there, but what they're finding is the, the brain has this huge plasticity. So this capacity to constantly be changed. Right. And that the, the nature, vagus nerve, I've been researching this too. It's so interesting, the, oh, uh, the neuroplasticity that we have. Yeah. And that they're basically everything you do at all given times is forming your brain. And so our interaction with um, the way that we now prioritize, like just the, you know, social media or these screens or the way we, we are more dependent on that 
that is shaping our brains, not just to not be able to sit and read for a long time, but to want that kind of information and that kind of interaction. And I think the kind of the impatience and the quickness and the, the soundbite nature of that really has shaped a lot of our discourse in, you know, on social media in the past years. But I think another aspect of reading I love that kind of pertains to all this is reading requires you to be self-reflective. So there's, there's mm. a, it requires you to be slower. You, you can't consume and go from thing to thing to read. You actually have to have a space in which you're thinking about the words on the page. You're, you're integrating them. You're deciding what you think about them. It requires this quiet that I think gives us the capacity to consider ourselves, to know ourselves, and to be reflective about our actions and our, our, our motives in a way that movies don't or that you know more screen-based media doesn't because it's so immediate and it's so we, we, we receive it so immediately that we don't have the same space to reflect and be changed and, and have kind of an agency, I think, in that kind of change. But I think that's one of the reasons I just keep on advocating for reading is because I think we have such a need to continue to know ourselves, to question our deepest ideas and our, you know, our, our most deeply held convictions. But I think that comes a lot more naturally when you're reading something and required to be in that space of reflection than when you're consuming something from a screen. I like that a lot. And something I will add is one of the things I love about movies is very often they're, you know, you watch them with friends, you watch them with people, um, you know, you, you enjoy them in theaters, surrounded by people. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But one of the things I like about reading so much is that um, most of the time, especially when you grow up, it's just you. It's just you and the and the words on the page. And so you are engaging with these thoughts and ideas um, silently inside of your mind. So you were the one who's having to wrestle with these things, to have to go through these things. And it's happening non-verbally, non-visually, it's happening all inside of you. So these ideas, there is no filter. And that's the interesting, interesting thing about reading is everything else has a filter of exterior where reading goes directly into your soul, your mind. And so it's a very personal um, introspective experience from reading either nonfiction or fiction, um, which I think is a really beautiful thing. I'm reading uh, right now a book guy by Albert Camus called The Stranger, and I'm still undecided if I like it or not. I'll let you guys know. Um, but what I do, what I am struck by is how um, connected to the character I feel because I am inside this character's mind and his thoughts are now inside my mind. Um, directly, there's a direct link from the page of his thoughts directly into mine. So I'm experiencing this character as he's walking through, um, you know, his world and talking to the people. I'm hearing what he is thinking, how he views um, these people, these events, these things happening, and it's going directly into my mind. So it's a very personal, introspective thing. Um, I love communal art, but one of the things I love about reading it is so um, uh, almost sometimes uncomfortably personal. Um, and then I was going to say something else. Um, total job. It was good, guys. Um, so I'll hand the mic off to one yeah, of you, I'll and just, I'll interrupt one of you. I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you time because I, I have thoughts. No, it's, it's actually really interesting. I mean, one of the things that is kind of funny is that even though we really love movies, one of the things that we really like is talking about them afterwards because that's a way of actually creating, making that individual, and actually creating a story around it. I think what's interesting is that 
Um, also, by the way, if you have conflicted feelings about The Stranger, that's okay because Albert Camus had very conflicted feelings about life. So uh, you're probably pretty close. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm getting that. <laughs> um, but no, I think what's interesting about reading also is, and this is kind of reflected by the data because literary reading is really going down. And that's where most people talk about it. It's like novel reading, poetry reading, things like that. Nonfiction reading isn't actually going down all that much. I mean, it's going down, but like, but far, far less. And this is because one of the things it actually shows one of the things that's interesting about reading, which is, um, which is that reading actually allows you to, oh, I'm going to get really to hold ideas accountable and actually, you know, across time. Um, because like one of the things, again, I love podcasts. I love, you know, things like, but when you're watching something or you're listening to something, it's not actually there on the page for you to wrestle with at your own pace over and over and to compare an earlier thing that was said to a later thing that was said. It, one of the things, um, oh, I, I'm always, I get uh, this name wrong, um, which is Ellen Disanaki, I believe is how I pronounce her name. She wrote a book, What is Art For? And she's an anthropologist. And once she talked, there's an extended discussion there about what happens to a society that once it gets um, literary, once it actually involves reading, is that you can actually hold previous generations accountable for things they thought. And actually, and it causes you to, as civilization, it's say like, oh, we, you know, things that we thought then, maybe they were not actually true. And to say, ah, we actually did think that thing then, and we realize now that that's not true. Whereas if you have an oral society, you can actually just sort of make it up as you go along and never kind of pay for your past sins or your past illogic. And so one of the things that I actually, again, I, I have friends who actually have said explicitly, look, I don't watch documentaries and I don't read fiction books. Like I get my nonfiction from my books and I get my, you know, my stories from movies because I think that the stories in movie, that is that, that I get a lot more out of the stories for movies, but I get a lot more out of the nonfiction in books because that is actually the thing that people still can't replace with that books have and reading have is being able to engage in that very cognitive function of holding ideas accountable across time and space. And so again, I think that that actually speaks to something that even in fiction, you're able to do in books you're not able to as much in movies because it's it's on the screen and then it's gone. Whereas with something that's in a book, you actually can start to compare, contrast, and hold the author accountable to something it says. And that's something that I appreciate in my book reading um, that, I, that I actually find really valuable. Hmm. Well, I will say um, real quick, as someone who does have... ADHD and dyslexia and goes over words and sentence a lot. It is a really interesting art form literature, like you said, because it allows me to go at my own pace. And there's a million different reasons. I have trouble reading the words sometimes and need to go slower, but I'm able to. I don't feel hurried or rushed. I'm able to sit there and go. And I like how you said you go back and look at ideas. It's, it's the one art form in you both uh, the artist create your inner mind, and you move it at the pace that you desire. Sarah, sister, who um, you are currently listening to, can read books at a million miles an hour. You can read seven books in a day. Um, and I wasn't able to do that, but what is amazing is that you can do that um, 
and I can't, but neither of us have to read at the same rate. When you're watching a movie, you all have to watch a movie at the same pace, right? You all have to watch the movie at the same day. We're playing a video game. You have to play the video game at the same pace. Music, the song is going to play. With reading, you can work through the story, through the idea, through whatever is being presented to you at your own pace. You can stop, you can think. Um, I think that's a real, it goes back to this really individual, um, individualistic thing that happens in reading that's so important. Also, I might include self-actualization. Um, I mm. think I think reading is a really important of discovering who we are and what we think and what we think about the world. Um, but um, I had a question for you, Sarah. In in raising kids now, you have you have a couple. Um, what do you notice? in um your kids how would you notice reading has impacted them um because you're an adult you've been reading for years and years and years and years this is old not old hat but this is part of who you are now as as you've watched two uh young kids who are um probably not even reading yet themselves but they're struggling to read uh, and you're reading to them what have you found that has uh what have you learned in that process? Or what do you, even this, what do you hope as they begin reading? What do you hope to share, to see? What are you interested in finding that whole process? Well, I think the first thing is just how much they love it. Um, like when children, I think we think of reading as a task. And like one of the reasons I wrote a book on books, Book Girls, because I wanted to say reading really ought not primarily to be about duty. Reading is about delight. Reading is about, so, I mean, Samuel, my my 16-month-old, his first word, um, it's actually a Dutch word because my husband speaks Dutch to him, but he has a book about a frog and the frogs are kickers. And so he goes around saying, kikra, kikra. And um, it's, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, but both of them from very young ages, we just read books to them. We just would open books and read them, even when they were infants, because they're taking in all that vocabulary and language, even when they're still at that tiny, tiny age. And so I think with both of them, we just keep books everywhere. We keep baskets of books where they can reach them. So like Lillian, she's three years old now. She definitely can't read, but she can recognize letters. We are very interested in M for mama. Um, but also, <laughs> so when she stopped taking naps, I was like, okay, I still need a break every day. So basically she can read for an hour, read, or she can um, take a nap. And so I just give her a pile of picture books and she reads for an hour and she talks about them to her animals and she makes up stories and you can just see the characters coming alive in her little view of the world. So she will reference things like, oh, that's a strawberry, like in blah, blah, blah. Or, and you just realize that these stories wow. are, are entering into her account of reality. And that's what's so fascinating is watching how stories begin to form their imaginations and their selves. And she's really into right now, tell me a story. So you, oh my goodness, you, know, you just go back through every story you've ever heard in your whole life. Because <laughs> she asks for one about a hundred times a day. So I, you know, we've talked about saints and hobbits and, you know, and the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. And then, you know, I try to make up fairy stories now and then. But she loves, I think it just, it's this expansion of the world for them. But I think one of the things, I mean, among many things I want to give them um, through the gift of books and reading. Um, but I was thinking about, as you all were talking about, like that, you know, the being able to compare histories with other books and, you know, to hold authors accountable and to have a sense um, of self-realization. One of the things I just wonder if we're really in danger of losing is increasingly a, a real sense of our interior worlds of ourselves as having, there's the outer mm. self, but there is an inner self and that inner person 
Great. is nourished and built by words and by, by this capacity to think independently of the voices around them and the capacity to imagine things beyond what they can see. And one of the things I just really want for Lillian and Samuel and Lucy, who is soon to be born, is that they will have a strong and well-outfitted interior world, that they will have imaginations stocked with thousands of rooms of possibility because of the books they've read, that they will have the words they need to take from that imaginative realm and begin to articulate, this is what I want to create. This is what I want to build. This is what I want to be. Um, and I think that the more they're exposed to these worlds of imagination and then these words you know, that build the worlds in their heads, the more they have this whole interior universe within themselves from which they will live and create and have convictions. And, um, and I think it's really important. You know, I think you look at social media and we just, we consume so much of it, but it, I think you can really lose your sense of self in the midst of that. And I think one of the things that I love about reading is it returns me to myself. And there's kind of this sense in which I'm like, wait, what do I think? I, what do I actually think about this? What do, what do I want to say about this? Where is my, what, what, what truth do I want to speak into the world? And that's one of the things I just, I see already forming in them that I, I hope that they will continue to take from reading into their adult lives. So, I mean, that's just the beginning. I, I absolutely love that. And uh, before we wrap up, um, I think what you said is really interesting because it shows you how, um, you, you're talking about how Lillian will say, oh, that's like the strawberry I read in the book, or that's like the, the dog I, I read about here. She's informing what she thinks about reality by the words that she has encountered, by the words that you've shared with her, and eventually she, she'll be encountering herself. And again, I love that interior world. You're teaching her and ushering her towards having a deep interior world that's informed by the words that she reads in these in this place. So she will have a rich interior world because of the, the books and the words she has been exposed to. And I think that's also a testament to, we talked about reading generally and how important is, how important words are in, in literature. But I think this also, because um, we've talked about um, this in the podcast a lot, how important this goes to show, and, and you talking about Lillian and Samuel, um, good art, good books, good words, how important those are, because they really... Um, they inform how we see the world, how we see ourselves, and ultimately how we see God. And so, again, I want to come back to this. Reading is is wonderful, and we've discussed all the different ways, but it's encountering good words, good books, good literature. And if you want a good list of good literature, I suggest you read Sarah's uh, book called Book Girl that has about a million lists of every book you should read. Um, and But I, I, it is so interesting to me to to hear those stories about Lily and who she's informing her world by the words that she's um, experienced. And so that goes to show you how, how important reading is um, and how we will understand reality. And I will say this, again, as a person with ADHD and dyslexia, reading is difficult. It is not an easy thing. It is not like scrolling through TikTok, which is really easy. And sometimes you need that ease. Um, reading is hard. It's harder than movies and harder than video games, uh, at, le at least for me. But it's really, really beneficial to who you are. It's important to your understanding of reality. And it's something that will ultimately, like you said, Sarah, give you a deeper understanding of that inner self, which I think is severely lacking. So yes, it's difficult. I can um, understand and I'm with you there, but it's also really, really um, 
to say beneficial and worthy work to take part in and it can be it's not just a work it's also a work that brings joy and imagination and goodness um and again it helps you inform your reality and rich inner self uh so yes reading really is a wonderful thing we're big fans of it here we talk a lot about movies and media um but we haven't had haven't gotten this uh, in depth this much how important words and reading are so i'm really glad we got to do that today joseph any last thoughts before we give sarah the last words um, as somebody with no interior life, I find this whole discussion to be uh, offensive and exclusionary. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it is really one of the things I think is is fascinating is the fact how how closely um, you know again getting super deep in here, God is associated with um, words and the word and how you know, there really is no replacement for an interior life, for our ability to see things, for our ability to establish our own inner lives, our own identities, and our own ability to construct the world than with words. Even again, film, you know, Quentin Tarantino said, your only job as director, well, your, your job is to have a vision and to be able to communicate it. And you can't do that without words. And all the people who love film the most love film criticism, which is an ability to you know, construct and understand, you know, and, and for, so I think like world forming somewhere, even more than images, because images is just what's coming at you. And somehow words are how you put those images in a way, a form that is meaningful. So I think that if you're a person that's interested in being able to construct the world and not only to construct the world for yourself, but to hold accountable other people who are trying to construct the world to see if they are there if they're trying to just throw something at you or if what they do holds up, whether that's somebody contemporary or as we talked before across time, I think that um, being able to read makes you a person that's capable of doing that. Absolutely. And real quick, before you finish, Sarah, I just want to jump on that and say, it is interesting. I, this is what I wouldn't say earlier. I remembered it. Um, it is interesting that God, I've heard people say, well, you know, if Jesus came nowadays or, you know, uh, whatever, that we'd be making movies of his of his life in the, in the old testament new testament all these stories and i still don't think so i still think there's something like you mentioned to words holding power and i think it's not an accident that god chose to share his truth in his story and his ultimately his true myth as tolkien would say through the art of words these aren't a passe thing these are incredibly necessary um and also, uh, real quick before you finish, there, I will say, have has anyone heard of the meme? And it's talking. Some it was, I think, it was a tweet, and someone said something about how reading is actually really just incredibly amazing when you think about it. Where you're looking at a bunch of um, random marks, uh, black marks on page, and it makes you hallucinate. If that's not amazing and shows the power of reading, I don't know what it is. But uh, please give us the last word about how important reading is and why you love it and why we still. <laughs> sure. Well, I think I love what you're saying about that, you know, no matter if Jesus came today, it would still be words. I mean, the way that we, he's described to us is the word made flesh. We are beings who are literally spoken into existence. Words are intimately part of who we are, how we see how, what we were created to be and to interact with words, to, to make, to, to play in the world of words is how we, we become rich, sold, you know, fully imaginative, fully engaged human beings. I, I mean, I really believe that reading is not just, or that engagement with words, it's not just something for some, it is an aspect of being human, of engaging with our creator, of being capable of 
of him speaking to us. And then we have the incredible capacity to answer back. But I think a lot of that capacity Mm. and the way we answer and the way our lives answer has to do with the words we take in. And um, I, I like to say my I'd always heard stories of my mom reading to me when I, I was, you know, the first baby reading to her belly when she was um, pregnant with me. And I was like, like, really, did you do that? And then I started reading storybook picture books to my belly when I was pregnant with Lily in my first, Aww. but one of the, of course. <laughs> of course, you can't help it. But one of the books I read was um, Miss, Miss Rufius, which is this story about a little girl who wants, she basically wants to be just like her grandfather who took great, um, great voyages and he saw the world and did great things but he we always said but but Alice you have to do one more thing you have to leave the world more beautiful and I think that to to finish with that I would say we're spoken into existence by the word you know by the living word or the word made flesh but part of that speaking is that we are made capable of speech ourselves and I think that one of the things that books do is they outfit those our imaginations our vocabularies, our inner worlds in order to make us people who can speak things into existence as well. And that's one of the things I so desire for my children and just really for anybody who reads Book Girl is this sense of, I have become someone who can speak beauty into the world. I can leave the world more beautiful because I have been able to speak something new. So I think that's <laughs> of, of the many things that, that are reasons I would love reading. That's just one of the the great reasons I'll, I'll end on that is yeah we're we're we are made to speak something new as well. Oh, that's a that's a pretty Amen. good way to end. Yes. <laughs> so on that note, we'll move on to one of our favorite segments, of which there are two segments, but it's still one of our favorites: <laughs> uh, blessings and curses. We will find some piece of art to bless, some piece of art to curse, and we always give the our guests the option of joining us in that. Would you, uh, Sarah, like to go first, or would you like to go last, or is or would you like to uh, partake in this you, tradition? Well. I will partake. I think I'll do the blessing. I'm, I'm having to, I'm not as quick at I have to think about this hard and then I'd have to think about what I want to say. You're just such a good person. (laughs) I'm just not very quick on my toes. (laughs) She's never read a bad book. Oh yes. That seems very Now I have to go back and think about it. (laughs) The book I will bless. And I think it's very pertinent to this conversation. It's had a huge impact on me is um, Tolkien's it's, it's actually not a whole book. It's an essay, but um, you can find the book is by Tolkien. It's called On Fairy Stories. It's an mm. essay he wrote in defense of stories and language as why they're important, why they form us. And in it, in it he, and has, he was a linguist, correct? He was studying etymology he was a and language. Yeah. So he was exactly language and um, literature. And he he loved language. He was fascinated by it. Um, and so this essay is, is, it's a defense in many ways of, of basically his own creation of like, why it's, why is it worth it for you to write a Lord of the Rings? Um, and it's, it's a defense on kind of a philosophical level of um, the power of stories to, to shape and allow us to glimpse eternity. But he also goes into the way that language refreshes our view of the world, that it allows us to see things mm. in a new way that when you've encountered you know, a dragon in a story, you see a dog in a different way, because, you know, these are kind of all, we're, we're kind of surrounded by incredible things in the world, but you sometimes need a story to re-enchant your vision. And then he also, I think at the end, which he is one of my favorite quotes ever about catastrophe and how the, the, um, the joy yep. of the happy ending is it's, it's basically the opposite of catastrophe. It allows us to glimpse the possibility of something beyond the walls of the world. So I will say that is, that is, that'll be my blessing. And I'll, 
if I come up with a curse, I'll let you know, but I think I'll, I'll pass on that for the moment. So everybody has to stick around to see if Sarah comes up with a curse oh. by the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I will go next. And th this is tough because my immediate reaction is I want to bless um, some classic work of art or a book list or something like that. And I love the classics. You know, last year I read, um, uh, what was it? A uh, uh, Picture of Dorian Gray. And now one of my favorite books, the, the words that Oscar Wilde uses are amazing. So I'll give that a half plus. Of course, it's a, I, I love it. But what I want to bless recently was just a fun book I read. Um, and, I, and I know I'll often do this, won't make me look cool, um, but I'm going to say I really enjoy reading this book called The Midnight Library. And this came out, and I hope they turn into a movie. I don't know how to do it. Um, but essentially, it's about, I'm, I hope I'm going to try not to give too, anything um, too much away, but you'll find this out in the first chapter. It's about a woman who wakes up after she, um, quote unquote, dies in a library. And on every book, in the library is a different story of her life that she could have lived um if she had made a different choice or thing and the in the library is endless it's walls and um and aisles go on for eternity and she's guided through this library by a librarian and every time she opens a book she gets to try out the life that she could have lived had she said yes to the guy uh, at the coffee place had she uh taken that scholarship had she not given up you know what it, whatever it might be but it's a really interesting and really fun book um one that that lets you kind of look into this idea of the what if that we all live with what if what what if i had done this what if i hadn't done this and it's a really interesting exercise in that but also also, it shows, again, how our lives are created and understood through words. And so I thought that was very um, apt that our, every different life we could have lived was on a shelf in a library. And it's love of that picture, that metaphor seems so apt for me. And I really enjoyed the book. It's written well, it's written funnily, it, there's some depth to it. Uh, so if you want a fun, um, easy, but still um, has depth read, I really highly suggest The Midnight Library. I really enjoyed it. And for curse, you know, this is actually me, maybe the Clarkson thing. I'm having a hard time coming up with a curse. Um, you know, there's a movie called The Words a while ago with Bradley Cooper and Zoe Saldana. It was okay. And so that's about the curse today. The Words was an okay movie. And I can't actually, do you know what my curse actually I'm going to do it, and I'm probably going to make you mad, Sarah. I've been T.L. Eliot's poems. And um, I don't know if you're a fan. I can't remember if you're a fan of T.S. Eliot. Um, but um, pretension doesn't even begin to describe his poems. Um, pretension and, and just... Um, maybe I'm stupid and I need someone to help me with the metaphors and the, but the thing is, I, I think I'm getting it. I, I, but I don't think there's much to get. It's just endless flowery language with nothing of substance for me to understand. I feel like everyone loves T.S. Eliot and maybe I like his non-poetic writings better and I'll let you give a defense if you want to, but I am almost through with um, one of his collections of poetry and I'm struggling to get through, but it could just be me. I will leave that open. I'm not going to say this is absolute gospel, but thus far, maybe I need someone to explain it to me. T.S. Eliot has just been a height of um, pretentious bore to me. But that's just, so, that will be my my curse. Actually, it wasn't that hard to find a curse. Uh, Sarah, are you a T.S. Eliot fan? Have I offended you? You really haven't. I I mean, I would be on the same level. I I don't, he has never been the person I most connected with. I definitely have oh, friends who would, who would 
come back at you pretty hard about that one. Okay. But, <laughs> but I, I'm not going to be the one that gives you the arguments tonight. I haven't read enough of him to, to know. I mean, I should have, oh. but yeah. Oh, thank yeah, goodness. Safe. Actually, I'm going to just quickly say, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I actually thought of the film, The Words, as, as maybe did something really? I, I honestly 100% did. You said it, and I was like, I cannot believe he's saying that. Because I thought it was such a such a fascinating start. And then it kind of like, it didn't, I've been too long since I watched it to really come and dwell about Great it. Content it did not delve into the actual power of story and what that meant and what that, I, I was kind of like, oh, such a good premise. So, yes. Oh, yes. So A great so concept wasted. My, okay, good. There you I'm, go. That's my, that's my curse. I'm actually really disappointed because I thought we were going to get like a Clarkson fight here for a moment. And like, those are a joy to see if you haven't seen them. <laughs> no, you'll have to come to dinner at our house to see one of those. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll deal. Deal. We'll deal. deal. <laughs> but, um, okay. So I'm going to, for my, um, for my blessings and curses. So I'm going to bless, I alluded to this earlier, the book, What is Art for? Um, because not only is it one of, I think it's, it's a, it's, it's right up my alley because it's like a fascinating kind of cross-cultural look at like what has art been used for and what is its purpose like for human beings and great discussion of anthropology and art and like and what you know we talk a lot about like what what is beautiful and what do people see beautiful but really somebody who's trying to make a real study of it I find it to be a really refreshing in terms of my own ability to appreciate art and why I I love it the way I do. So I, I definitely will um, recommend that more fully in the blesses. Um, I will also say, but then, you know, we're talking about literature reading. I will talk a couple of books that I read uh, last last year that really like for me were like the literature books that I, that I adored that really gave me the love of what books could do in fiction. Um, as you is Dune, which I read last year, which is somebody created an entire sci-fi fantasy world just with words. You know, it's like, you know, you, most of the ones we know, like Star Trek or Star Wars, they were movies because they're about giving you the experience and helping you experience to see the world. And uh, this guy, he, he did it all with, with on the page. And it really is a, and it actually, was was what inspired a lot of the later stuff with Star Wars, that picture of 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 a world where it was really about human beings that we we understand their struggles that they go through. Um, and it's epic scope. So I think that was really beautiful. Also, um, excuse me. Um, I say I mean do I'll, I can do uh, uh, the murder of Roger Ackroyd by uh, Agatha Christie. If you're looking for something that's not 900 pages long, um, that I may or may not have finished in like a day just because I started it and couldn't put it down. Um, Agatha Christie is one of the people who knows how to use words to like tell a compelling story almost, you know, almost better than anyone I know. And the insight that was able to be there with the wit and insight that's in there on, on understanding of human nation, nature, and one of the best endings of a, a mystery, murder mystery that I've, I've probably ever, that also uses the medium. It's not a thing you could have told in a movie. You could not have told this in the same way in a movie. It's only because it is a book that the twist works. And so if you want to see something that's a, a book that can only work as a book, that why we need books to tell certain kinds of stories that can't be done, Murder of Roger, Murder of Roger Ackroyd, I can speak today, is a really great book to do. Um, for curses, um, I will curse one book and one movie. I will curse The um, Man Who Was Thursday because I read that book and it has... Oh my goodness. I love G.K. Chesterton. I love no. G.K. Chesterton. It has an amazing beginning. It's great. As the worst twist or payoff to a story that I may have ever read. It is 
so bad, so dumb. It ruined the entire book for me. Um, you cannot. Twitter needs to have a comeback here. Okay. Thirty-second retort. Exactly. All right. <laughs> what, 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 why, why is the twist not horrible? The twist, and because it's about it's the whole way we see the world. It's the it's it's a it's a novel that talks about our perception of ourselves in the world and the way that that's constantly changing and that we think we've seen the front but actually we've seen the back and what are we chasing it's a novel about mystery and and the kind of mysteriousness of trying to figure out existence and god and it's like this mad chase oh, it's and then at the end you have this strange I don't know how to talk about it without giving it away, but when you're kind of encountering like these absolutes, it's fascinating. Yeah, no, see, that's the thing is that what it ended up being, I don't mind like the back and forth, but what it ended up being is the worst of what allegory uh, it, it attempts at allegory are. Uh, so it's okay. We can just know that he's wrong. <laughs> it's okay. You know what? Now we're going to have to have dinner and discuss this in person. Yes. Uh, my plan is working <laughs> perfectly. Um, no, but uh, then for, because I made to get the my movie of the crime actually occurs also is, um, I'm probably going to get me into trouble. It's the, um, what is it called? Oh, yes. It is uh, Dead Poet Society. <laughs> I am. I'm gonna. I am ashamed to say I've never seen the Dead Poets Society, and everyone you says know, I remind them of different characters. And not. I watched it again recently and felt the same. So I will. I actually cannot yes. argue with you on this. Yeah. No. I mean, if, for me, not only is it I don't, mediocre as a film, like just fine as a film, and it gets credit for like bringing romance to, like bringing a sense of romance to poetry, which very few people are even attempting to do. Um, but it's. Uh, it's it's why it thinks poetry is good and the things that it sets up against it like the idea that there is some beauty in content not just form um the fact that in order to love poetry you have to have a bohemian lifestyle rather than one that has um that has uh, some love for tradition or or other th values that it has to look a very particular way in order to be beautiful i think are are extremely harmful to the uh to actually the art forms of of poetry and and reading and, and uh, literature uh, that it's actually supposedly trying to uphold so that's sort of my reason a, a reason for for disliking it but so good i'm glad i say like, okay i got i guess scraped by with one controversial uh, uh, uh curse this weekend but anyway you guys can send me your emails if for anybody who likes really likes that film um okay very cool so before we go uh is there anything particularly you would like to plug sarah clarkson you have the floor well, I mean, I am releasing a book in less than a month. So if it's called This Beautiful Truth, How God's Goodness Breaks Into Our Darkness and to slightly change subjects, it is about it is about books and reading in the sense of it's it's very much an exploration of how my encounters with the beautiful, which I would say is art, music, story, nature, human, human interaction, were really my argument for God's goodness in the midst of my struggle with mental illness and how those mm. things really mediated and allowed me to kind of have that taste and see encounter with God's goodness that was so absent to me in the midst of my darkness and depression. So, um, so yeah, that's my, my book. It's coming out on the 
Oh, good Lord. I think it's the 8th of June, which is a Tuesday. I should know this, shouldn't I? Um, but <laughs> you did it. This is, by the way, this is really good. One. Um, I've got a sneak peek and you really should grab a copy. And if you want a copy, Sarah, where can people grab it? You can go to Amazon. You can also go to my website, sarahclarkson.com. And if you go to, there's a tab on the front page, you can read an excerpt from the book is, has already been posted and I'll have some fun pre-order bonuses pretty soon. And you can find a bunch of different places to order from Amazon, Barnes Noble, straight from the publisher, all those things. And if people want to get in contact with or follow what you were doing, uh, where can they find you? Uh, SarahClarkson.com. You can find out more about me, find my books. You can sign up for my newsletter. And then I also, I, I mostly hang out on a daily basis on Instagram, where I like to do live poetry readings every so often. And you can see pictures of, it goes everything from what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, and then, you know, at least a few occasional side shots of my children. It's a very, um, it's a very whimsical Instagram account as you live in England and have two um, adorable little children who love running in fields, drinking tea and reading books. So if those are the things that you like, listener, then I highly recommend you go and follow my sister, Sarah Clarkson on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can go to the overthinkersjournal.com. You can find out more about your uh, hosts and the team and everything that's going on there. We'll have some more um, articles up and hopefully have some live events very soon. So please go to the overthinkersjournal.com. Also, again, please join the online Facebook Overthinkers group. We would love to have you. We're having so much fun um, having discussions and posting memes and art and videos. And there's now a growing, we're hoping to hit a thousand in the next couple months. So we had such a fun community of people who love these questions and things that we talk about on here. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to nathanclarkson.me or find me on any of the social media. Just search my name, Nathan Clarkson. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at josephholmstudios.com. And you can also find me on all the so all, all of the socials. So, well, thank you very much, Sarah, for being here. Thank you all very much for joining. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.